deadly disease is threatening South America. Several cities there are on the verge of an outbreak. Uh, we have incipient outbreaks in South America. I guess we'll continue going down that way. Okay. James Griffin and Sandy Bondarowitz are traveling there to start fighting off the disease and save the region. It's just one of four infectious diseases that have suddenly broken out in locations around the world. And it's up to Sandy and James to discover cures for all four before it's too late. Today, we'll be following the two of them as they work together to prevent a global pandemic. You're listening to Immersed. I'm Suzanne Zinsley. And I'm Chris Zinsley. Okay, so yeah, James and Sandy are playing the game Pandemic. Chances are you've played it, or at least heard of it. Since it was released in 2008, Pandemic has become one of the best-selling games of all time. It popularized the idea of cooperative games, where players work together against the game instead of competing against each other. Players in Pandemic help each other fight off four global diseases, represented by different colored cubes on the board. Each player takes on the role of a different professional in the field, like a medic or a dispatcher. Each role gives the player a unique power. James is a researcher. His skill is sharing information, so he can pass cards to other players more easily. Sandy is a scientist. Her knowledge in the lab helps her discover cures more quickly. She only has to turn in four cards with the right color to discover a cure for a disease. Other players need five. Now that both players are together, as they work to remove disease cubes from South America. So I'm going to move from Bogota to Sao Paulo and then spend three actions giving Sandy three orange cards. That gives Sandy the four she needs. So move the three back to Atlanta and use the orange cards to discard and cure orange. To discover a cure in pandemic, you have to turn in the required cards at a research station. This early in the game, there's only one of those, and it's in Atlanta. Hey, fun fact. Atlanta is where the Federal Centers for Disease Control is located. Just a few turns into the game, and the players have already discovered a cure for one of the four diseases. In the real world, sharing information is becoming a more common way of fighting deadly diseases more effectively. Lots of people from around the world working together, playing different roles. One of those people is Dr. Bronwyn McInnes. She leads a team of researchers at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. They use DNA sequencing to discover the genetic code of different deadly microbes like malaria, Zika, and Ebola. And by sequencing the genetic code of the viruses that have infected patients or that are in the mosquitoes or the, you know, rodents or whatever the reservoir is that are spreading around the world or, you know, causing problems, we can learn a lot about um, what's causing disease and how it's spreading um, and where it's moving to and where it has moved from and how quickly it's changing and whether there are any particular mutations um, that could be important for understanding the, the pathogen and, and how it's causing the outbreak. This is called genetic surveillance. It's a relatively new field, but it's already been used to help prevent the spread of several infectious diseases. One way that Dr. McGinnis and her team work more effectively is by partnering with other groups. They openly share their data. 
That's very different from the traditional approach. So instead of waiting to publish their findings in an academic journal, they open up their data for their partners to use. It's an open source approach, and it makes the whole process move a lot faster. Speed is important in this field, and sharing information quickly can be a matter of life and death. Here's an early example of what it looks like in practice. In 2014, there was an outbreak of the Ebola virus in West Africa, including in Sierra Leone. Um, we were already working in Sierra Leone. Uh, we had a collaboration there with local scientists and a kind of field site um, and lab there. Uh, when Ebola came to Sierra Leone, to Kenema Government Hospital, where we were working. The hospital took samples from patients who had gotten the virus and sent them to Boston. And uh, the team here um, at the Broad Institute sequenced those samples using the Broad's uh, genomics platform kind of sequencing power here in Boston and analyzed the data really quickly and shared it back, obviously, with our colleagues in, in Sierra Leone and with our collaborators and partners um, who were thinking about this as quickly as possible and put the data in the public domain immediately. They discovered something important. And with that, we were able to see, based on the genetic signals, that Ebola was spreading by human-to-human -human transmission rather than by kind of repeated contact with the environmental reservoir. That meant people were catching Ebola from other people, not from some other source like contaminated food or animals. That insight was key. You know, early on, people were concerned about contaminated meat or contact with bats or other potential sources of infection, but it, it kind of switched the messaging to be more about sanitation and like hand washing and personal protection and, and that type of thing. Now that they knew how the virus was spreading, local officials could tell people how to better protect themselves. Because up until that point, people didn't understand how Ebola was spreading. And there was another benefit. And it also set a precedent for quickly sharing the data. The next time disaster struck, they had a proven model for cooperating quickly and effectively. Back at the table. There's not that much disease on the board yet, so we, we have the time to do the paperwork and not worry about the field work. But James you know, and Sandy you. are in for a surprise. First epidemic of the game. Epidemics happen when certain cards show up and they create unexpected new hotspots on the map. Suddenly, a new city is on the verge of an outbreak, Lagos, Nigeria. Sandy has a couple of yellow cards already. So even though there's a new threat in Lagos, she decides to stay close to the research station in Atlanta. James follows her back so that he can pass her a third yellow card. They're hoping they can replicate the early success they had in fighting the orange disease. Sandy's gamble pays off. She gets the yellow card she needs. Cure yellow as action two. And she turns them in to discover the cure on her next turn. Very quickly, the players have completed half of their goals. Two diseases down, two to go. Close to it, at least until the next turn, and close to each other. The way that Sandy and James are communicating, working together to figure out a plan, that's exactly the kind of experience that the designer of Pandemic had in mind when he made his game. His name is Matt Leacock, and we talked to him at the Gen Con 2018 convention. He has a funny way of describing the experience of playing the game. 
it's um <laughs> trying to think of uh the best way to, i think i've said this in the past like it, it's like having a meeting but a really great meeting <laughs> that's probably the worst way to sell pandemic but uh, yeah it, it's what it is i mean it's like when you're throwing out ideas and, and uh collaborating and, and problem solving together like pretty much any game Pandemic went through a lot of changes and adjustments before it was ready to be published. One of the key changes to the design was creating two decks of cards instead of one. Originally, the cards that caused more disease cubes to go onto the board were shuffled together with the cards that you used to cure the diseases. There was a, a common deck of cards that was used for both uh, the good things in the game and the bad things. It worked uh, mathematically, it worked logically, it saved a lot of money in the production. I thought it was really clever, you know, so I was very attached to it. As it turned out, humans, though, when they played the game, just could not figure it out because that you drew your cards from the same draw pile but had to discard them to different discard piles. And no game does that, and no human could seem to figure it out. I had to correct them people over and over again, and when I stopped correcting it, you know, the games would just go way off the rails. So that was one thing I had to do. I had to introduce another 48, 50 cards into the game in order to make it usable by people. One person who has played Pandemic is Dr. McInnes, our geneticist from the Broad Institute. She likes how you could gamify the response to emerging threats around the world and to bring together all of the different types of responses and how people in different roles can use their expertise um, creatively, you know, to combat the threat and and to hopefully beat it. Threatened is not something that Sandy and James have felt up to this point. So I think we're in a good position, um, which is not causing game stress yet. But their sense of ease won't last long. There's a second epidemic, this time in Chennai, India. There are now six different cities. Oh, six. Didn't even notice Sydney over there that are on the verge of an outbreak. The players decide that now is a good time to start clearing some of the disease cubes from the board. Those cubes can keep showing up and cause outbreaks, even if you've already discovered a cure. Finding a treatment and getting it to the places that need it are two different things. That's true in the real world and in pandemic. Speaking of outbreaks, an unlucky card drawer causes the first one of the game. First outbreak in Sao Paulo. James and Sandy's cleanup effort had fallen short. When an outbreak happens in pandemic, instead of putting another disease cube in a city, we add one to each city connected to it. It's way worse. The outbreak in Sao Paulo is especially unfortunate because it's connected to Lagos. Which causes another outbreak. Remember Lagos? Earlier in the game, Sandy and James decided to focus on discovering a cure instead of paying attention to the conditions there. Now that choice is coming back to haunt them. A chain reaction happens, and they suddenly have two outbreaks in a row. Players in Pandemic can only afford eight outbreaks over the course of the game before they lose. Things are getting serious. Okay, well, huh. Although sharing information openly is becoming more common in the fight against infectious diseases, there are still some skeptics. Dr. McGinnis again. Not everyone is as fully, you know, on board 
with this as others, but in general, I think things are moving in that direction. There can be legitimate reasons for proceeding cautiously. So for example, privacy can be a concern when you're sharing genomic data. There are regulations to worry about. Sometimes the governments don't want information to be shared because genomic data is such a new thing. They don't know what the risks are, and so they just act on the side of caution to not share the information. Other times, delays can come from making sure that the data itself is clean and usable. Sometimes the data is complicated and messy and you need to really wade through it and you don't want to put something out too quickly that's actually incomplete or maybe has some elements of it that are wrong that could be misleading. So sometimes the delays are more to do with really understanding the data that you're that you put out to make sure that it's good quality for the rest of the field to be using rather than sending people, you know, on wild goose chases with bad data that you've put out in the, in the public domain. I have a plan. One. James and Sandy just had two outbreaks in a row, so they regrouped to come up with a plan. There's a real threat of more outbreaks happening very quickly. But they both have some black cards, enough between them to discover a third cure. They even have a couple of blue cards, which puts them so close to curing the last two diseases. But there's a problem. Both players are far away from Atlanta. They need another research station. To make a new one in a spot that's more convenient, they'll have to sacrifice a card by playing it when they're in that card's location. With that in mind, James travels to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. It's not the most central, but it's something. Just last year, Dr. McGinnis and her team's partners around the world worked to help prevent the spread of a different disease. In Nigeria, there was an outbreak of Lhasa fever. Over the past few years, the process of fighting outbreaks has grown more sophisticated. Dr. McGinnis and her colleagues had been working in Nigeria already. And there, over the course of time, really instigated, I think, by um, what happened with the Ebola outbreak, there's been quite a, an investment by us and other groups and, and companies to build genomic or genetic um, laboratory capacity in countries that are potentially vulnerable to these types of infectious diseases and outbreaks. Some of those vulnerable countries have started building labs of their own. They're developing the capacity to do some of the genomic work within their own borders. That shift changed the role of Dr. McInnes and her colleagues because some of the resources for sequencing the virus were available near the hotspot. Our colleagues actually did the DNA sequencing themselves in Nigeria um, in real time in response to the outbreak that was affecting their country and shared that information in real time with their their local health authorities, the Nigerian CDC and the WHO. So so we're starting to move from a, a model where you need to ship samples around the world to be able to sequence them to being able to do it locally in places where investment has been made in building genomics capacity. Back in Riyadh, James builds a new research station. With a little luck, if he and Sandy can meet there and exchange the right cards, they can cure the black and blue diseases and win the game. Just then, there's a third outbreak in Chennai, another city they had neglected. Oh boy, that uh, that could have gone better. But at this point, there's no going back. 
Sandy spends her turn moving to meet James and Riyadh. That will save you from using any of your actions to get to me. If they can just hold out long enough. A fourth outbreak in Seoul, South Korea. Of course. And a fifth in Chicago. Remember, only eight outbreaks and they lose the game. Oi. Fabulous. James gets a lucky draw and starts passing cards to Sandy. So much for no game stress. <laughs> a sixth outbreak in Sydney. Outbreak happens. The players have no control of things. I don't think we have enough actions. The world is exploding around them. Then in their final moments, they hand in the necessary cards, cure two diseases back to back, and win the game. Yay. <laughs> And then, the game is over. Cities around the world are nearly overrun with disease. The board is littered with cubes. But James and Sandy don't have to worry about that. They already won. They don't need to bother clearing out the rest of the disease cubes. Remember how it made sense earlier that a disease can continue causing problems even after a cure has been discovered? At the end of pandemic, that's not the case. Ultimately, the game encourages players to put more emphasis on finding cures, and less on cleaning up infected areas. Sandy and James knew this, so they decided to let the diseases spread out of control. It was an extremely risky strategy. But they got away with it. Barely. Out of curiosity, after the game was over, we flipped over the very next card from the drawer pile, just to see what would have happened. It was Shanai. If that card had turned up before the end of the game, it would have caused a chain reaction of outbreaks. From Shanai to Bangkok to Jakarta. Jakarta. That's three outbreaks. Well, that's spread to an outbreak in Sydney. That's that's spread to an outbreak in Mm. Los Angeles. That's That's spread spread to Chicago, to New York. To Toronto. To Toronto, to to New New York. York. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been bad. That would have been the the end of the uh, cycle. Yeah. Eight outbreaks in a row. Plus, they would have run out of two colors of cubes, which, by the way, is a completely separate way that you can lose the game. If the cards had shown up just slightly differently, James and Sandy would have lost the game eight times over, all at once. Of course, the players had no way of knowing just how close to disaster they were. They can't predict which location will be the site of the next outbreak, at least not with very much certainty. But that kind of foresight is exactly the sort of thing that geneticists like Dr. McGinnis hope will be possible in the future. The people involved in genetic surveillance hope their methods and technology can be developed to the point where they can help predict where the next serious outbreak will be. Well, I mean, I'd like to think that we'll be able to actually use genetic surveillance to predict or anticipate outbreaks, you know, before they really escalate and spread and become a pandemic and and be able to use it as an early warning surveillance system to predict and prevent outbreaks rather than to um, control them once uh, they're already spreading. Reaching that point is going to require everyone involved to get comfortable with the idea of openly sharing information, working together. The board game industry is there already. Cooperative games like Pandemic are growing more and more common. Now it's just a matter of other industries following suit. Coming up after the break, we talk more with Matt Leacock about the very beginnings of pandemic. Stay with us.
Castle Panic is one of the best-known franchises in board games, where you and your friends or family work together to fight off hordes of monsters swarming the castle. Now, Fireside Games, the publisher, is making Castle Panic available to even more players. There's my first Castle Panic for even very young players. And there's the Castle Panic Big Box, which has expansions that you can add to the game as you grow more experienced. The couple who runs Fireside Games, Justin and Anne-Marie DeWitt, sometimes do these months-long cross-country road trips to meet people and show them their games. On one of these trips, a father and his three young children walked up to Justin. And they pull out these little pieces of parchment paper that they've all drawn on. They've drawn like a new monster that they wanted me to put in the game, or one guy had drawn the Goblin King, and the other one had written a little story about Castle Bannock, and they wanted to give me these scrolls of the game. And I'm just sitting there trying not to cry. <laughs> these kids are giving me these little treasures that they made. Playing Castle Panic helps make memories that will stay with you, no matter what age you are. Find out more about my first Castle Panic and the Castle Panic Big Box at FiresideGames.com. If you listened to our last episode, you heard about how Mr. Jack Pocket was practically picked up by a publisher before it was even designed. That's not typical. The way Matt Leacock started designing Pandemic was... Actually, it was very typical. So typical that the steps he took are basically a game design 101 class in themselves. We talked with him at the Unpub 2018 convention. And his early work on Pandemic shows how designers can get started. Step one, play other games for inspiration. For Matt, it was playing one of the earliest popular cooperative games that got him started. Well, I had played Reiner Knizia's Lord of the Rings before with my wife, and we really enjoyed the game. It was a co-op game, and I never really thought cooperative games could be fun. I thought they were kind of like something you do with your kids, and everybody, you learn a lesson or something like that. Um, it'd be like an after-school special, you know, you get through it. But we really, really enjoyed that game, it had a lot of tension in it, and I wanted to see, you know, could I, could I do something like that? The lesson here is to not avoid certain types of games just because you don't think you'll like them. We wouldn't have Pandemic if Matt had thought that way. Instead, he turned it into a personal challenge. So I had this idea to do a co-op, and to me, one of the scariest kind of enemies that I could include would be infectious disease. And there were a lot of pandemics going around at the time. It was in the news a lot. I, I can't remember if it was bird flu or swine flu or SARS or what at the time, but it was sort of in the media a lot. Get inspiration from the world around you. There's a whole world of ideas out there. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast. Matt tackled a subject that he found tense and scary, and he used that tension and anxiety in his design. So I, you know, I combined that desire to do a co-op with this, this, uh, um, you know, like unfeeling, uncaring bad guy, and uh, started kind of sketching some ideas down. So far, so good. Now this next step is often underrated. He gave himself time to think and let the idea percolate. I remember going out with a walk with my daughter. It was an infant at the time, but probably about one year old, something like that. And you got kind of like the, the foggy daddy brain or whatever. And, and just doing a lot of thinking while pushing the stroller. And I came home and um, I do remember just scratching out a really, really rough map on a, a piece of newsprint with a Sharpie. And, uh, you know, just really raw stuff, a deck of playing cards and uh, some cubes and stuff, and, and just started kind of playing around with, with ideas. This is called rapid prototyping. Get the idea to the table as quickly as possible. This process is what led Matt to discover one of the things that makes Pandemic tick. 
how the cards that put disease cubes on the board keep showing up again and again. It wasn't very long before I had come up with the, just kind of experimenting with a deck of cards, how the discard pile might go on top of the draw pile when adding the bad stuff to the board. It's not a standard playing deck, so you play the Queen of Hearts, you put a cube on the Queen of Hearts, right? Um, but I needed to kind of recycle it somehow, and I, I saw pretty quickly how that might get kind of awful. Um, and that kind of hooked me to the game. That, that, that really was the, the hook that brought me through all the years of development. Matt had found a fun, original hook for his game. This is probably the biggest lesson for designers early in the process. Find the fun. Immersed is produced by Cardboard Edison. Find out more about the show and all of our other board game design projects at CardboardEdison.com. Special thanks this episode go to our guests, Dr. Bronwyn McInnes and Matt Leacock, Sandy Bondarowitz, and James Griffin. Editing assistance by Eric Booth. Music credits are available in the show notes. Cardboard Edison is supported by our patrons on Patreon. Help save the world. Or at least help us help the board game design community by becoming one of our patrons. You can get episodes before they officially release. And you can hear extended interviews with our guests, Matt Leacock and Dr. Bronwyn McInnes, only by supporting Cardboard Edison at patreon.com slash cardboard edison. I'm Suzanne Zinsley. And I'm Chris Zinsley. And join us next time as we become immersed in another game. Immersed is also sponsored by Haba USA Games, German design and quality, children's and family games that adults enjoy playing. Home of Rhino Hero, Karuba, and Animal Upon Animal. Learn more at HabaUSA.com. Smirk and Dagger Games, makers of emotionally engaging, immersive, highly thematic games that create a stir. Find out more at SmirkandDagger.com. Van Ryder Games presents Graphic Novel Adventures, a new line of game books where you are the hero. Graphic Novel Adventures, your choices, your adventure, your story. Visit VanRyderGames.com. Formal Ferret Games, publisher of The Networks, Bad Medicine, Wordsy, and the upcoming High Rise. Go to FormalFerretGames.com for more. Indie Boards and Cards, the maker of Coup, a dystopian social deduction game of assassination, deception, and elimination. Will you be the last one standing? Find out more at IndieBoardsAndCards.com. And Brotherwise Games, makers of hit games Boss Monster, Unearth, and Call to Adventure. Brotherwise Games brings everyone to the table. Visit BrotherwiseGames.com.